Welcome to the Refuge Church Podcast, where we long to see the lost saved, the saved transformed, and the transformed sent. For more information on Refuge Church, or to learn how you can give to this ministry, visit refugejacks.church. Hey, Refuge, grab your Bibles. If you have one, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's some black ones in front of you. Um, be, a, be a good place to, to start. Uh, if you have your phone or device, man, use that as well. Whatever it takes to get you into the Word this morning would be good. Um, but we're going to finish up chapter 9. So the plan is we're going to finish up chapter 9 this morning. Um, and then next week is actually Sanctity of Life Sunday. Uh, so if you want to know where we're going, we'll be in Psalm 139 next week. Um, and then the, the last Sunday in January, all the way until May, we're going to go through the book of Ephesians. We're going to do a series through the book of Ephesians. We're going to read it together. And we're going to go through it verse by verse. Um, we've broken that thing down over about, I think, 14 weeks. Um, we're going to have some scripture journals. They're called uh, ESV scripture journals. So when you come in in two weeks, we'll have those in the lobby for you. Um, you can grab those as well. And so you can take notes and follow along and really excited about how the Lord's going to use that um, and to build... Um, and to continue to build our church. Listen, uh, two more things. Number one, if you have uh, your little notes page, uh, be a couple things to write down might be helpful in a little bit. Um, and the second thing is, if you haven't seen it yet, we actually, um, this may not matter to you and that's okay. It's kind of cool to me. We've rolled out a new website, one that's going to be a little more engaging, a little more helpful to tell some stories and whatnot. So if you haven't seen it, um, and check it out. There's actually a couple of blog posts on there. And so, um, but we'd love for you to check it out. And all of our, all of our um, worship services since September 19th are all on there as well. So if you miss one, you can go back. Um, if you miss most of them, you can go back if you want to share that, that kind of thing. That's really why we did it, just to kind of be a tool. So, so man, check that out this week at some point. Uh, and if you don't follow us on social media to keep up, that'd be a good way to kind of see that. So, so let me just say this. Uh, we're going to talk about money again today. Um, and uh, here's the plan. So if you're someone who gets mad or thinks churches only want money, that's not true. Um, if, if that's you, don't give it all. I'll just take the pressure off and say, don't give unless you feel the Lord is telling you to. But we're going to take uh, today um, and follow up from last Sunday's of being a cheerful giver. So last week we covered uh, the first few verses in chapter 9, starting in verse 6, and then we'll kind of close that out today. That's the plan. So um, let's, let's pray one more time. Uh, just ask the Lord to bless our time in the Word together, uh, and then we'll jump into this. God, we love you, and we just pray as we open your Word now, God, that you would teach us from your Word you would teach us your truth. You would convict. You would stir our hearts to believe your truth, um, to follow in obedience to your truth. God, we need you and we love you. Amen. Uh, the name C.T. Studd was a famous, world-famous cricket player in the 1800s. Now, I had to look up what cricket was, but uh, it sounds terrible, but it was a sport. Uh, and it was a really popular sport in the 1800s. And, and C.T. Studd, which is two Ds, S-T-U-D-D, uh, quite a name, was the LeBron James, if you are so inclined, or I would say the Michael Jordan of his sports, okay, or of his day. He also was somebody who, as a, an athlete, a famous athlete, became a believer and eventually walked away from the, the sport that he was the, at the top of his field in. So at the top of his sport, the MVP of the game, the MVP of the league, he walked away because the Lord was calling him to be a missionary. 
as one of the best players in his sport. He walked away to become a missionary, and he eventually served uh, and, and established churches and missions in China, India, and Africa, taking the gospel to those who had never heard. If you're looking for a great biography, there is some really good writing on C.T. Studd. But I want to tell you a story about him that really defines who he is and what he's about. When C.T. Studd's father died in 1850 or so, Studd inherited the equivalence, or excuse me, he inherited 29,000 pounds. 29,000 pounds of what? That was how money worked, right? And so he inherited 29,000 pounds, which equated to about $150,000 at that time. Now, as you and I know, $150,000 is a lot of money still today, but in that time, he would have been set for life, and so would have children have been. It was such a sizable amount, he would have had to move out of his neighborhood. He would have lived a different life. Stud's response to receiving this upon his father's passing was he did not want to, quote-unquote, clutter up his life, and rather decided to invest his money with God. And so he started giving away money, and he sent 5,000 pounds to Hudson Taylor. Now, Hudson Taylor, if you're not aware, um, was the missionary who eventually brought the gospel to inland China as a result. Without Hudson Taylor taking the gospel to China, who knows what today China would look like. The second, he sent 5,000 pounds to William Booth. If that name rings a bell, William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. And then he sent 5,000 pounds to D.L. Moody to start a work in India. And then he sent another 5,000 pounds later because he was going to start something small in Chicago called the Moody Bible Institute. After completing all his giving and some small giving, he had 3,400 pounds left, which he gave to his wife on their wedding day. What a sweet guy. Her response on that same wedding day, I'm sure the honeymoon was fun, was the rich young ruler was asked to give his all. Why are you giving this to me? So they sent the remaining money to William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, anonymously. Stud lived by this motto in life. If Jesus Christ is God and he died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Now you write this down. If Jesus Christ is God and he died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. I'll say it one more time. If Jesus Christ is God and he died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And your response might be, yeah, but I've never been given 29,000 pounds. And you probably won't because you're an American. We don't work that way, right? But the question is, man, with what God has given you, are you honoring God with it? I took away some things from this story. Number one, you and your spouse must be on the same page as it relates to being a cheerful giver. It's a whole sermon that we'll have to do later. The second thing I took away is giving is a sacrifice. It is. Whether we choose to give $5 or we choose to give more, we are taking something that's ours and giving it away. Here's another thing that I took away from this that might be helpful. There are times God is going to say, do this, give here. And it's opportunities for you to be and me to be sacrificial and opportunities for you and me to be obedient. And oftentimes what we do is go, well, I give every Sunday this amount. And God goes, yeah, but I'm asking you to do this as well. Here's the other thing. You and I have no clue what God might do with our giving, with our sacrifice. 
As we said last week, I believe with all my heart, there are going to be people that are going to show up to others in heaven and go, thank you. And you're going to go, I don't know who you are. I don't even speak the same language or have the same skin color. And they're going to go, I know, but because of your faithfulness and your cheerful giving, the gospel got to me. Listen, you have no clue what God might do with your sacrifice. I have no doubt that when C.T. Studd sent that money to D.L. Moody, to Hudson Taylor, and to William Booth, he had no idea that Hudson Taylor would take that and use it to go take the gospel to China. I can't imagine he had any clue that William Booth would start the Salvation Army based on that gift he gave. And I can't imagine he thought that the Moody Bible Institute would have been started again on the money he gave. Due to one man's faithful generosity, the gospel went to China. Salvation Army was started and the Moody Bible Institute were all started. And so you may be saying, well, that's not for me. And I would say, you're absolutely right. It's not for you. We're all called to obedience, but we're all not called to the same exact obedience, just like him. God's going to tell you what to do in the same way. He's going to tell me what to do, what we do with our money and how we view it ultimately reveals what we believe about the gospel, what we do with our money and how we view our money ultimately reveals what we believe about the gospel. I said this last week and, and we'll keep saying it. God uses cheerful givers to build his church to further his kingdom, and to take the gospel to those who have never heard. Being a cheerful giver, this is today, this is the whole point of today. So if you get nothing else, hear this. Being a cheerful giver has a larger purpose than your life, your family, and your church. And we've got to stop thinking in terms of, I give to my church, I give for my life, I give for my family. We've got to start thinking much bigger than that. That God's going to use my cheerful giving to take the gospel to places where it's not, to save people who have never heard, which we're going to get to in a minute in 2 Corinthians 9. And then the third thing I've said last week, I think it's important to say again, is Refuge Church is a church because of the stewardship of others. Our sending church, Fruit Cove Baptist Church, has been more than generous in helping us get started. But even beyond that, there have been men and women for years who have given and said, we believe in seeing the gospel men go. And we want to put churches in the gospel where it's not. And so Refuge Church is here because of the generosity and the stewardship of others. The gospel is God's generosity towards you and I. Second Corinthians 9, a cheerful giver, man tells us that just as Jesus in Hebrews 12 joyfully gave salvation to us, then the response should be a cheerful giver, not a reluctant giver. And here's the reality. When we believe and when we understand the gospel, we will have a desire to joyfully give. When we believe and understand the gospel, we will have a desire to joyfully give. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, 6 through 9 is what we talked about last week. If you missed it, man, go online and listen. Um, but we really kind of said, man, that God has told every believer to decide in their heart what God has called you to give and to do that. Not reluctantly. No, no, here I go again. Not under compulsion. I guess I have to. I mean, joyfully, cheerfully. And then if we believe the gospel, it will overflow in our giving. God uses cheerful givers to build his church, to further his kingdom, and to take, to take the gospel to those who have never heard. Being a cheerful giver has a larger purpose than your life, your family, your church. And one of the ways we have to view this is my money is not mine. My money is a tool that the Lord uses to share the gospel and build his kingdom. So verse 10. So as, he's, as Paul's talking about being a cheerful giver, he shifts from talking about man, how to give, and he starts talking about the impact of the giving. 
So he goes from being a cheerful giver. This is what it looks like now being a cheerful giver. Here's the impact. So what it looks like, and now we get the impact of it. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply. I mean, you could underline those two words and highlight those two words. Will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. The promise here is as God sacrificially calls you and I to live and to give, he will provide what is needed. And we can do all these things where we tell you that we are all because we're in this room and we live in this country and sitting in a heated building today, that we are of the world's most richest people. If you don't know this, you can Google this. But the reality is not about being wealthy or not being wealthy. It's about, man, do I trust that he will provide what is needed to supply my needs and to multiply? If he provides what is needed to thrive, let me be clear, not just to live, then he could be trusted to provide what is needed to multiply. See, we can hear a story like C.T. Studd and go, I could never do that. Or we can hear a story like that missionary and say, okay, God, God, how are you calling me to obedience in the same way? I may not have $150,000, God, but what are you calling me to do? I will, I will never forget. I was a new Christian going into ministry, trying to figure out how to preach. And I was at Walmart one night with uh, Beth. We were dating at the time, in fact. And, and I went back to the fish and lure section. If you've heard this story, then you've been around me, then you've heard it a million times. But I'll never forget this moment. I walked back there and I turned the corner and I saw a young man who I grew up with in church. He was a couple of years younger than me. He had a brother that was a couple of years older than me. So I, I knew his family pretty well. His family was um, kind of like they have a helicopter pad in their backyard wealthy. Like not, I could send you the picture, like not kidding. They were that kind of wealthy. And, and in this church we grew up in, they were just known as super generous. And I, I saw this young man, I said, hey man, how are you? And he just turns and looks at me and starts crying. And I was like, what? You can't cry in Walmart. You know, like who cries in Walmart is weird. And, and I said, what's going on? You know, and he said, and he looks at me and I like, I'm at Walmart, 11 p.m. at night. I got Beth on my side. We're dating. We're just kind of walking around. And he looks at me and he says, in, in tears, in Walmart, in the fishing lure section, and goes, I have no reason to trust God. I was like, what? What, what, what are we doing? We're in Walmart, man. What are we doing? You know, and I remember Beth looking at me and goes, I think you might need a minute. And she walks off and I look back at him and said, what do you mean? And he said, if I ever have, there's no problem. I think is how he said it, that my dad can't write a check for and solve. I have no reason to trust God. And to be honest, at that point in my life as a young man, I had envied the life and envied the lifestyle. And that moment I heard him say that and I saw, man, the brokenness. And and, and I share that story to say this. Being a cheerful giver has very little to do with how much you have or don't have. Being a cheerful giver has everything to do with, am I willing to give what God calls me to give cheerfully, period. Doesn't matter how many zeros or lack of are on the check. But am I willing to say, Lord, this is yours, not mine, and I trust you? I mean, the promise here is that as God sacrificially calls you and I to give and live, he will provide what is needed. And it's so interesting in this verse, it doesn't just say supply, but it says supply and multiply. There's this idea that those two things go together. That look, God wants to supply your need, and God wants to give you what it takes to multiply his kingdom. He wants to give it to you and then send it through you. I mean, this is God wants to use you, almost as if God wants to give you the credit, give you the experience. Multiplying is multiplying the gospel. It's building the kingdom. It's taking the gospel to those who have never heard. This is the idea of multiplying. 
Verse 11. Look, what this, 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 look at this promise here. This is such an incredible promise that we've got to be careful with, but it's a big deal. He says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. And you, you would love it if Elon Musk rolled up today and said, hey, you're going to be enriched tomorrow by my bank account. You'd go, okay, great. This is, but this is kind of what God is saying. God is going to supply, enrich you in every way to be generous in every way. There's going to be an overflow that God wants you to be, to be generous through you with. You will be enriched in every way and be, to be generous in every way. I mean, underline this. Don't miss this. You will be given more than you need so that you can be generous and have even more after in every way that you can imagine. The idea is, is, is he's saying, man, you're going to be given more than you need so that you can be generous. So that when you turn back around, you're going to realize how do I still have more than I need? And God's going to say, but that's how I work. This is what I do. And, the, and here, here's the cool part. When this happens, the end of the verse says, through this, man, it'll produce a thanksgiving to God. And this will produce thanksgiving and a gratefulness to God. Um, I don't know if this is you. I would certainly raise my hand if I said, let's raise our hands, but let's not. But if you struggle with bitterness, or you ever have, whether it relates to money or not, if you struggle with bitterness, man, man, the thing that roots out bitterness is thankfulness. And so it's not kind of just random that God puts this here. He's saying you're going to be enriched in every way. You're going to be enriched so much that the things you wrestled with, the bitterness you wrestled with, the relationships, the hurt, the anxiety, the things you wrestled with, when you're going to become generous in, and, and my generosity to you is going to overwhelm those things in such a way that it's just going to produce thanksgiving. And that thanksgiving will root out bitterness. So if you show up and you have bitterness, then maybe it's because you lack thanksgiving. Are you grateful for what God has given you already? Are you grateful for what God's done? Are you grateful for what God's brought you through to this point? I don't know if you remember, but, but about 10, what, nine months ago, eight months ago, the world was about to end. We were supposed to, at this point, all be completely poverty-stricken because of this virus. Now, we don't know what the future holds, but we know, as the song says, who holds that future, right? Man, as God enriches you, He multiplies and overflows in your life. And when you realize it, He also works out whatever bitterness is present. And that thankfulness He begins to produce in our heart begins to root out that bitterness. More than you and I can fathom, he is working in and around us and through us. Here's what he's doing. He's replacing our broken parts with his goodness through our generosity that he's providing for us. Now, did you get that? That math doesn't work. He's replacing our broken parts with his goodness through his generosity that he's providing for us. And one of the big reminders in verse 11, you can write it in your margin even, is he can be trusted. He can be trusted. The the, the temptation with with, with trusting God, I think, very often, and not trusting God is the timing of it. We want it now. And God doesn't always operate in the now. In fact, nobody tells God what to do or when to do it. God decides that on his own. But he can be trusted. Verse 12 says, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing, and there it is again, in many thanksgivings to God. The overflow of giving is praise, is worship to God. When we sacrificially, cheerfully give, that overflow, that happening is praise or worship offered to God. 
When we do that, it is a form of worship. Worship is not just music. Worship is not just prayer. Worship is not just reading the word. Ultimately, biblically, worship is a response. And that response is very simple. Obedience. And when we're obedient, that is worship. This is what Romans 12 teaches us. He is saying, do more than just give, but give sacrificially, cheerfully, and abundantly. And when we do this, it becomes praise. It becomes worship. It becomes a fragrant offering to our God. Now, now I said this last week. I'm going to say this. This is a hard thing. So preface with me hearing me say hard thing. But, but Malachi talks a lot about worship and giving and how they go hand in hand. And I'm going to say this one statement, and I'm going to jump to verse 13. But if your worship has grown stale, it could be an indicator of disobedience related to being a cheerful giver. See, maybe you're giving, but not cheerfully, and that would be a disobedience. And maybe you're not giving, and that would be a disobedience. And this is what it's saying, that if your worship, Malachi 3 would say, has grown stale, it may be an indicator of disobedience in giving. That's the hard thing. Verse 13. Check this verse out. This is, this is the impact. By their approval of this service, look what it says, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes through your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all of the others. Do you know what that verse says? As a result, others will know the gospel. As a result of your obedience, others will not go to hell. That is a big, weighty statement. But it says, as a result, others will know and glorify God because of your submission. I'm willing to submit to God's call on my life and my cheerful giving. As a result of my confession, not only am I willing to submit to it, but I'm willing to say it's worth it. And he's good and he provides and he sustains and he supplies and he multiplies and he's generous. And because of your sacrificial giving, others will know and glorify God. And because of your cheerful giving, others will know and glorify God. Man, man, what a powerful idea that others could worship Jesus because of you. What a powerful idea that others who have never had hope could have hope because of you. What a powerful idea that others could be saved because of what I've done, God would save them. Just the idea that others could love God more when I choose to be a cheerful giver. Being a cheerful giver has a larger purpose than your life your family, and your church. So, so here's, here's the question that I would ask this morning. Where or how is God calling you to, to, to give sacrificially to see the gospel go where it's not? Where is he calling you and where is he calling me? Where has God called you to be a cheerful giver? Now, I think this is a really important side note. And we said this last week. I just kind of want to make sure. Matthew talks, Jesus talks a lot about when, you're, when you pray, do it in secret. When you give, do it in secret so the Father will bless you. So this is not, hey, I'm giving more. Let me take a picture, put it on Instagram. That's not what we're looking for here, okay? But where, how is God calling you to give sacrificially to see the gospel go where it's not? Where has God called you to be a cheerful giver? How about this? Where has God called you to sacrifice? Sacrificially give, meaning it's going to cost you something. Here's what I would say. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. We, we were driving down San Juan on the way here this morning, and one of my sons pointed out somebody asleep on the side of the road. More than likely, maybe they don't have a home or they just didn't make it home. I mean, start, maybe the start is man, a cup of coffee and a breakfast sandwich for an individual that clearly needs it. Start somewhere. 
Maybe you can sponsor a child through Compassion World Vision, one of these, for $30 a month, and you can take the gospel to one of them. Maybe you can sponsor a missionary, be part of sponsoring a missionary or a ministry. Maybe you can fund an adoption. Uh, Man, this is one of those stories that will stay with me for the rest of my life. A couple of years ago, I I got the privilege to preach on adoption, foster care uh, at Fruit Cove, our sending church. And and, and, um, following that, that Sunday, I got a call that Monday from a lady who I'm not allowed to share her name. I'd never met her. To this point, I've had four phone calls with her, um, but I've never met her. Don't know what she looks like. If, she, if she's in here, I don't even know that kind of a thing. But she called and she said, I was so moved by the sermon, the Lord led me to give towards all of the foster children in your church. And I remember thinking, oh, that's really nice and really nice of you. She said, I would like to buy Christmas for all of them. My response was, that, that's a lot of kids. You don't know how many kids that is. She says, I know, and I'm capable, and this is what God's asking me to do. I just need to know how many. And so we called her back, and we gave her that very large number. And she wrote a large check, giving hundreds of dollars to each foster family so that all these foster children could have a Christmas. This is sacrificial giving. This is what God has called us to do. And that Christmas, 20-something children received a Christmas who some of them had never had Christmas before because of the secret generosity of one lady. Let me, let me remind you of a few things. Number one, God owns everything. God needs nothing. This is not a message about guilt or compulsion or you better. This is, man, don't miss what God's going to do as you're willing to be a cheerful giver and give sacrificially and generously. And let me say this, part of our vision here is to be a sending church. If we're going to develop a culture of sending, it starts with developing a culture of giving. And we can't send until we're willing to give. The second thing, again, we said it last week, is give cheerfully as God leads. That starts with having a plan. I don't believe, and I think it's biblical, we don't give impulsively. We don't give to get. We, we give because we have a plan and God has said give. And so we give him not impulsively, but as God has directed. And we don't withhold because of legalism. We just, we sacrifice and honor God. And then, and then we said this last week, I'll say it one more time. We don't rob God. We don't rob God. And let me, let me say, this is really important. This giving and being a cheerful giver starts with leadership. I will never ask you what I'm unwilling to do. And I expect the same of other leaders in the room. I'm not saying you go do this and I'm going to sit back, but this is, I want it to lead through us as leaders. It starts with the leadership. Ultimately, we trust God with our money. And if we don't, then we probably don't trust God with our lives. So I want to refer back to what C.T. Studd said. He said this, if Jesus Christ is God and he died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Would you bow your heads, pray with me just for a moment? I just have a question. My question is simple. And my question is, do you know that Jesus Christ died for you? That he took your place? Like you might be online and going, I'm just kind of halfway part of this. Can I just man, get your attention and say, do you know that Christ died in your place because of your sin? And in doing so, restored your relationship with God. And in doing so, man, granted you a place for heaven that can be in heaven that can be never taken away. And that's the gospel. That he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, man, we might become the righteousness of God. Man, if, if, that's, if you don't know this and you don't have a relationship with God this morning, I would encourage you to do that. I would encourage you to pray just a simple prayer. God, would you save me? God, would you forgive me? 
God, I confess my need for you. Just make that prayer simple. And if you prayed that, I would say, welcome to the family. We want to know if you prayed that this morning. And maybe you're in the room and, you're, and, you, and you, this has been hard for you to hear, or maybe you just feel kind of distant from the Lord. Maybe you're walking in some darkness. Can I just encourage you this morning that the same Jesus who is desiring to save is near? He's near, and I would encourage you to lean into his presence this morning. God, would you draw us to you now?